Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Current. Uh, as Chris mentioned, I'm, I'm David, pastor here. Uh, I'm excited to get into a new series today, you know, as I set up my little thing here. You know, it's funny, yesterday I, um, I realized that uh, coaching my son's basketball team uh, in its Saturday afternoon games is not going to be the best for my voice. I'm just yelling at all the kids in a good way, like for their good. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to have my tea up here helping me a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, we're starting a new series today. We're calling it uh, Faith in Action, uh, looking at the, the book of, of James, which we're, which we're really excited about. I'm really excited about for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's, it's my hope to give us an, an ever uh, well-rounded uh, biblical diet, as it were. Uh, so if you were here with us last season in, in fall and into the Christmas, we were looking at a gospel um, the Gospel of Luke, looking at Jesus' life and ministry, specifically there in the New Testament. And then before that, well, we looked at a, we had a vision series, but in the, in the summer months, we were in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture, Scriptures leading into Jesus' life, uh, specifically looking at the book of Psalms. Well, now we're going to be looking at what's called an epistle, or one of the letters written to the early church, which basically makes up the, the third major section of the Bible, and trying to, just, I'm excited about giving ourselves a well-rounded biblical diet in that sense. But I'm also excited about James because James, for as a letter goes, is very, very, very hands-on. It's very practical. Uh, it's unique in terms of all the other books, at least in the New Testament, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it, uh, it it it's it's not really focused on theology so much. It's not focused on doctrine. If you know other letters in the Bible where Paul or Peter, if you know those names, are writing, they're, they're, getting, they're digging deep into theology. They're going after it. They're, kind of, they're getting low. James assumes all of the gospel foundations. He builds upon those. He brings them from heaven, essentially down to earth, into our, into our lives. And so it, ver- it, so it reads like wisdom literature. Okay? There's no other book in the New Testament, at least, that, that reads quite like James. If you're familiar with the Old Testament book of Proverbs, this kind of collections of sayings and, and, and wise uh, statements, uh, James reads similarly to that. Uh, he has, he, his thoughts are connected. He's making thorough, coherent points, but oftentimes he can jump from one saying or one, one uh, topic to another, even as he remains very, very, very practical and shows us faith in, in, in action in very relevant ways. So we're going to be covering topics like how to make wise decisions, uh, how to deal with conflict, how to pray, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and this week, as we really kick things off, I'm excited uh, to kind of look at it kind of holistically as a book, but, but jump into what he's saying here at the beginning. Uh, what really struck me is of all the things that James could focus on in this very practical book, of all the things that he could place as, you know, pride of place, the most important, like if we're going to get to something, we've got to get to this, he starts with facing trials. He starts with facing life's troubles. And by the way, this was at a time in the early church that had not yet really been struggling with a whole lot of persecution. Persecution would, would really strike the church in 64 AD. If you know your, your history, uh, the great fire happened in Rome at that time, and Nero was just looking for a scapegoat. We, we think he caused, you know, it didn't really help the, the fire. Uh, he caused the fire and didn't really help it uh, uh, be put out, and went ahead and blamed the Christians. Well, persecution just really hit the Christians hard at that time. That hasn't yet happened. Uh, James is writing before that, and yet he still feels, you know what, of all these things we've got to talk about, we've got to talk about facing troubles in life. We've got to talk about uh, facing trials. And he grabs our attention right here at the beginning, doesn't he? Look at how he kind of, he kind of uh, hits things uh, just, just out of the gate. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Uh, 
facing trials with joy. Uh, that sounds interesting. Okay, you've got our attention, uh, James. He's, he's going to break that down for us. A quick pastoral sidebar, if I can, because there's not going to be time to really address this as we move forward. Uh, in my humble opinion, as a pastor, this is one of the most misused verses of the Bible, and not always with bad intentions, often with very good intentions behind it, but this is not a verse, Christian friends, that we want to take into, say, the hospital of a grief-stricken friend or, or family member. Hey, just consider it joy. Um, or, you know, uh, someone's suffering, and, and uh, this is, you hear what I'm saying? There's, there's stories I could go into of where it might be well-intended, but this is not probably the verse to take in. Even as James is saying, yes, absolutely, there is joy to be found in uh, suffering. Um, well, we're going to get into that, but by way of introduction, I thought, what better way to get into this, as opposed to just kind of focusing on the book and just sharing you different highlight thoughts on the book, but to jump in and focus on who this guy is. Because who this guy is, this James, uh, really tells us a lot about what his letter is going to be, including what we're going to break down today. Look at verse 1. He starts with this uh, pretty straightforward thought. He says, I'm James, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so who is this guy? Um, there are a lot of Jameses in the Bible. Um, there's the James, uh, son of Alphaeus. There's James, brother of John. Uh, this James is the brother of Jesus himself. Okay, so history tells us that this is James, the brother of Jesus, which meant he was, of course, the younger brother of Jesus because Jesus was born from Joseph and Mary before they were even uh, married. So Jesus is that guy, but he also became a very prominent leader in the early church. He's one of the real pillars of the faith. He would become one of the... So you had, you had uh, Paul, you had Peter, you had John, and this James, who were really kind of the heavy hitters, uh, whenever there was something big going down in the church, these guys were leading it. In fact, when there was a, a council, the first Christian council in, in 49 AD, actually you can read about it in Acts 15, James was elected the chairman. So kind of a big deal. Uh, that's, that's the James. And actually, that's why a lot of scholars tell us that he starts the letter the way he does. Because uh, most times back in that day, and some of the other letters in the New Testament will have this, is when, the, when an author is starting their letter, they will say, Hi, I am so-and-so from such-and-such -such a place. Or I am so-and-so, son of... So, are you following me? James just says, I'm just a servant. Uh, why? Well, scholars tell us because everybody knew who he was. He was that prominent of a figure. But let's unpack this first because there's a lot going on here. So, for instance, he says he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that little word there in the Greek, kurios, is a very interesting word because it, doesn't, it isn't just used in, in this context the way that you or I might use Lord. Okay, I don't think we use the word Lord, but if you watch Downton Abbey, how they use the word there, Lord Grantham or, or British royalty and all that sort of thing. Uh, that's not how the word Lord was used back then. The, word, the way the, the word Lord was used back then was to connote the divine. It was to say someone is, was, was, was God, which is, by the way, why Christians, including at this time of this writing, why Christians did not recognize Caesar as Lord. They didn't want to call him divine. They didn't want to, they didn't want to recognize him as God. But James here says uh, Jesus is Lord, um, which I don't, have, I don't have a ton of time to just go into this, but this is a really big deal that Jesus is calling uh, them Lord. Um, this is one of actually the proof arguments for Christianity, for Christ and, and, his, and his claims. Because what has always confounded scholars to this day is how Christianity was birthed out of the Jewish people. Uh, have you ever thought of it this way? What scholars recognize, or if you just understand the fundamentals, what, what confounds people is that the Jews would be the first person to start worshiping and acknowledging a human being as God, as the Son of God. 
Um, they would have been the last. You think about Eastern religions, even Greek religion. I mean, they, all these religions talk about God's intermingling uh, with, with mankind and so on and so forth. Jews have always seen God completely differently as above all, having created all out of nothing. Uh, they've always revered him such that would, they wouldn't even utter his name. He's just so far above. And yet Jesus, the, 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 the religion of Christianity sprang up overnight by Jews of all people saying, yes, he's God. Um, uh, it's really unthinkable unless it is true. And what's more is the person who's calling Jesus Lord here is none other than his brother. Would you say that about your sibling? You know, he's, he's Lord. <laughs> She's Lord. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting, every once in a while, there'll be like a celebrity who passes away, and we remember them, and we just, everybody, like they had a glowing aura about them, and everything is like, man, this person was amazing, and they do all, and then someone will come out and say, oh yeah, they were amazing, but you know, they had warts like the rest of us, I mean, they were just like this way, and was, who are the, those people usually giving us those details? The people closest to them, maybe even their siblings. Uh, J- James was the younger brother of Jesus. If there was someone who had dirt on this guy, it would have been James. James, forgive me, uh, shared the proverbial bathroom with Jesus um, and yet is calling him Lord. Actually, it's even crazier than that. This, this word Lord is actually, uh, excuse me, the servant is actually the Greek word for slave. Uh, it's, 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 he's saying, I'm the slave of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and, if, and what makes this even more striking is if all of that's not striking enough in terms of credibility and, and, and who this James is, is that James, as we know, during Jesus' life and ministry, was never all that into Jesus. In John's account, John's account chapter 7, he basically, John says that the brothers of Jesus did not believe in him. Okay, that includes James. Or Mark's account tells us that there's, plenty, there's a couple of times where uh, his family, including his brothers, went up to try to mess Jesus up, to kind of like rein him in, bring him in, in, into line. Um, I don't, you know, if, if you were somebody who was the, the, if you had a brother and, you know, you never saw any bad thing about them, you had no dirt on them because, you know, they're, they're the son of God, they're perfect, right? And yet you're not following them. Why would that might be? Like, why would that be? It seems to me that it's whenever we're upset with or we're not on board with a sibling who's doing a good job or has done a wonderful thing, it has more to say with us instead of them. I imagine James just wasn't on board because of a sense of pride, but be that as it may. Uh, he used to not be for them, uh, for Jesus, not be a follower, rejected him, and yet by the time of this letter, he's saying, I'm a slave to the Lord Jesus. Well, what happened there? How do you go from there to here? Our biggest clue there is in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we won't t- turn there now, but if you look at verse 7 there, it says Paul's l- listing out all of the resurrection accounts of when Jesus showed up and made himself available to people physically. Uh, he said all these people, the apostles, Peter, John. And then it says very curiously, and he, and he showed up, the resurrected Lord, to James, this James. Here's my thinking of why Jesus showed up to James specifically. Like why, if you're going to, have the ability to call your own brother Lord and God, you would probably need a special resurrection visit. That's what I think was going on there. Which, okay, that's all this conjecture and all that sort of thing. But either way, Jesus became, uh, James became a pillar of the early church. Uh, tradition and history tell us that he was an incredible man of faith and love. We're told that he prayed so often and so fervently that he was known for having huge calluses on his knees because he was praying all the time. And then we also know the way in which he died. 
Um, eventually, persecution started to spring up, although not quite as much as, as I was saying by the time of, of AD uh, 64. But by 62 AD, uh, enemies of the early church took James, captured him, took him up to the, the highest point on the temple, and basically wanted, his, they're, they're, the gist of what they were saying to him was, Christianity, this is getting too many followers. James, you need to turn people away from Christ, which is kind of interesting. What do they think he's going to do? Okay, no. Um, he actually, he said this, he said, we're told, he said, why do you ask me about the Son of Man? He dwells in heaven at the right hand of the mighty power. He will come in clouds of heaven. And in anger, they threw him over. He fell to the ground, but he wasn't yet dead. Uh, yet he twisted over, in, uh, uh, even though he'd just been beaten, broken, to pray for forgiveness for these guys. Uh, at that the point, they came up to him and stoned him and beat him over the head with a fuller's bat uh, until he was dead. Why do we go into all of that? It's this person who writes the words, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. James was ready to face trials. He was ready to face troubles. And he says that we can too, even with joy. Uh, let me pray, and then, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for uh, this man of faith, this example, and the words, your words through him that we have here today. Lord, would you help us as a church really understand them, apply them to our lives. At, Father, we ask for your spirit in all of this. And as I, as I uh, uh, humbly try to teach these things, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, first thought here, James says, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Uh, troubles are inevitable. Uh, that's the first thought here. We've touched upon this, so I, would, I just want to hit on this real quickly. But notice it doesn't say, you know, if troubles come your way. It says whenever troubles come your way. And then more so, uh, look when it says, uh, when you face troubles, uh, that word there is very uh, uh, hard to translate into English. Uh, it's probably better translated when troubles come upon you, when they befall you. In other words, there's no escaping troubles. These trials are going to hit you. And then it says trials of many kinds. Literally, that word means many colored. Uh, they're going to be very complex, intricate, uh, diversified in terms of the troubles that are, that are going to hit you. Now, I imagine if you've experienced uh, a bit of life, you probably resonate at this uh, with this on a heart level. I mean, troubles hit us. Uh, they're outside of control. We, 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 we will face them. Uh, so we can't be surprised. But James' point here is you can find joy in them. How? Well, look at verse 5. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So here's a Captain Obvious thought. Go to God. If you're in trouble, if you're a follower of his, go to God. I I feel like James is making a Captain Obvious, like, duh, statement here, because we need it. I'll just confess before you as a pastor, I need it. Uh, oftentimes when I'm going through life troubles, my first knee-jerk response isn't, sadly, to go to God first every time. We need to go to God. And as a pastor, I'll often be talking with folks as they're sharing different hardships that they're going through, trials that they're facing. And when I ask them, the times that I do, hey, so have you, have you asked God about it? Have you sought him out? And I'll often hear the response, well, I guess, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. Um, I feel like James is doing uh, something that we all need, myself included. It's like that IT guy who shows up to, at your desk to fix and he says, have you tried rebooting? Uh, I feel like James is like, have you gone to God to ask him about it? Ask for wisdom and he'll give it to you. You know, the thing is, it sounds crazy here, but my experience is when I go to him and ask for wisdom, he gives. He gives generously, as he, as he says, without finding fault. There's no like guilt upon you as you ask. It will be given to you. He will give wisdom. 
You know, when I've gone to him, it's never as if like the scroll's coming down from God, like here's the divine wise next steps for you to do as much as I want that. Uh, but, wi- but wisdom comes in any, nor- uh, any sorts of ways. Uh, it can come cerebrally. Sometimes it can come at the heart level, just kind of girding you up, giving you the strength to face what you're facing. Uh, my brother-in-law has gone through just a ton of things in life. He's, just, uh, he's the father of six kids, which if that's not enough, uh, that'll, that'll, you'll have trials of many kinds uh, you'll face. Um, they're, they're great kids, but you, you know what I'm saying. Lots of responsibilities. My sister is legally blind. Uh, he is, he's a pastor of a church. He's been a pastor for many years. He's just been through a lot, but he holds himself so well. Uh, and I remember one time I was, I was sharing with him uh, t- a time where I was just going through some stuff. I was, just, I was really down. I was really discouraged. I was just kind of having a hard time. And I'll never forget, he said, you know, David, when I'm facing those sorts of things, often what I'll do now is I'll ask God for some encouragement. I'll go to God and I say, hey, God, I don't, I don't really deserve it. Um, I, and, I, and, I, and I need your wisdom for what to do. Could I just ask for some encouragement? Would you give me some encouragement? And he said, and God, give me encouragement. And I figured, hey, that's worth a shot. And so when I've had trouble, I've had, you know, I've been going through times where I'm just at the place where I'm just, man, I'm really down and out. I'll often remember that conversation and be like, oh, I should ask for encouragement. God, I don't deserve it, but would you just send some encouragement and send wisdom for me? And, he, and he'll just send encouragement. And it comes in any sort, uh, any variety of ways, but he's faithful. He gives generously if we would just ask. Um, so church family, really straightforward thought. Captain Obvious, James is saying here, if you're a follower of Jesus, it seems to make pretty, pretty straightforward sense. But in trouble, do you go to God with it? In the trouble that you're facing, trial, uh, whatever, either facing now or, or, or when it comes, do you seek out God? Do you seek Him for wisdom? He says He will give it to you. But then James goes on to say that there's a little bit of a warning here, though, because you can't just go in, in any manner. You have to, you have to come in a, in a certain way. He shows us how not to come to God. First, we need to go to God, but then he shows us here's how not to come. He says, don't doubt. Look at verses 6 through 8. When, when you ask... But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because no one who doubts is like, uh, excuse me, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, when I used to read that verse when I was a younger guy, I just felt like this yoke of weight was coming down on me. Any of you feel that? If you're a follower of Jesus, you just don't doubt at all. Like, and it's just like, whoa, I just... But then I just started to understand more of the Scripture in line. I, under, I began to understand what James is, is saying here. Uh, if you've been coming over the last uh, season, uh, literally, uh, over in, in winter, you know what James is talking about here when he talks about doubt. When he says, don't doubt, what's he saying? Uh, what we saw when we studied through the, the Christmas account is that the Bible has nuanced uh, has a very nuanced uh, understanding of doubt. There's different types of doubt. So, for instance, around the Christmas story, there's the doubt of Zechariah. Do you guys remember Zechariah? Zechariah had the angel come to him and say, hey, God's getting ready to do some amazing things in your life. You're going to have a kid. And what did Zechariah say? He said, but how can that be? I'm so old. And what did the angel say to him? He got really ticked off. Well, I'll say, you know, just really upset. Like, I stand in the presence of God, Zechariah, you could just take my word for it. How about that? And you know what? Just because you can't do that, it's going it's to be until after you have this baby that you'll be able to speak again. You can't speak. And Zechariah couldn't speak until John the Baptist, which was that promise, until John the Baptist was born. That's Zechariah. You jump to the very next story. We're talking not even a full chapter in length from that story, and you have the story of Mary. Same 
angel, the angel Gabriel, visited Mary with very similar promises. Hey, Mary, uh, God's getting ready to do something wonderful in your life. You're getting ready to have a kid. What did she say? She said, huh, how can that be? Like, I'm just, I'm just a virgin. Doubt, right? How did the angel respond in that case? Completely opposite. With Zechariah, it was like, you're not going to talk to me. I stand in the presence of God. With Mary, Gabriel, the angel said, oh, Mary, it's going to happen. And let me just give you all these assurances that it's going to happen. You can look for this sign, look for this sign. It's like, what's the difference? I was going to say the angel of sex. That's not true. <laughs> Mary was just amazing. Sorry, that's, that's my personality coming up. Uh, Mary's the better example is what's going on there. Uh, what was the difference? Zechariah on this hand and Mary on this hand, we talked about this. The Bible has very different nuanced view of doubt. On the one hand, you have Zechariah's doubt. With Zechariah's doubt was, this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. But on the other hand, you had Mary's doubt, which is essentially like another character in the Bible who came to Jesus said, I do believe, help my unbelief. Mary is like, in, in her doubt, she was leaning into God. I don't see how this is going to work, but I'm trusting. I'm going to think about this. Whereas Zechariah was saying, no, no, no. That's the kind of doubt James is talking about here. It's the kind of doubt that says, you know what, this is just, I don't, uh-uh, it's not going to happen. At the heart level, it's just not going to work. I don't believe it. And James says, if you do that, you don't expect to receive anything. Uh, it, uh, don't, don't, don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Uh, look at verse 6, because this person is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Circumstances are going to toss you. Uh, troubles are going to throw you about. Look, I, I think James is trying to help us move out of our human point of view, our, our human perspective, because it seems to me our kind of status quo point of view is that we have a lot in life that we are actually in control of. But I don't think we have a whole lot in life that we're actually in control of. I mean, you think about that at the macro level, you think at that at the micro level. Remember the, the recession? Okay, I don't, some of you guys are younger. Maybe the recession didn't really hit you. But, but the recession, like, just rocked our world. There's a lot of people who were like, they, their jobs were like really, really solid. And all of a sudden, whoa, they're not solid and, and all these other things. Or at the micro level, you just think about in terms of different tragedies that will, that will become us. And we're just like, what just happened? We like to think that we're in a lot better control we, than, we, than we actually are in our careers, in our health, in our relationships. That's our human point of view. But James is saying, would you open your spiritual eyes? We're not in control. We don't have the ability to just kind of get ourselves out of every situation and, and, and figure it out on our own, ultimately. But there is one who does have things under control, and you can go to, and he makes himself available to uh, you uh, for you to go to. Um, that is the Lord. You can go to him, and he will give generously. I think so often when we go to the Lord, and it's kind of the Zechariah type doubt, the James type doubt, when I go to the Lord, it's like, hey God, would you, I, I want this wisdom, give me this wisdom, but really what I'm saying is, here's how that needs to play out. You, you know, I, I want wisdom, why aren't you showing up, but why isn't it working out the way that I feel like it should work out? You following me? But what James is saying, you're not really going to God in that situation. You're going to God to use him for your agenda. But, God, but James is saying, go to God, and he will take care of you. But can you trust him? Can you trust him, even if it might not be the way that you think things will work out or should work out? James has given us a hard lesson. He's given us a hard lesson. This doesn't come naturally to us, even if, as spiritually speaking, it might sound pretty straightforward. 
uh, doesn't come naturally to us. It's a hard lesson, but it's also a very, very beautiful lesson because when you can trust God, oh, look out. When you can trust God, uh, you can face anything in life and face it with pure joy. Um, he gives us two beautiful promises for what, how, this, how this plays out when we, are, when, when we go through troubles. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There it is. The thought here, is just, I'm just going to take it from the verse, is testing of our faith through trials produces perseverance. Um, I think I've mentioned this from the, the stage before, but there was a time when Cindy and I were going through a really, really hard time. And we're talking like gritted teeth, hard things, lots of tears, just hard, hard time. And a mentor of mine kind of caught us in the midst of this and the tears and, you know, blowing our noses and, the, you know, just like, you know, just in our raw form of it, heard us out, heard what we were feeling and just kind of looked at us and said, hey, I, I don't mean you to take this the wrong way. Um, I mean this with love, and I don't, I don't mean this in a patronizing way, but I'm so encouraged and excited for you guys. And I'm like, oh, I don't know where this is going. Uh, he said, I'm so encouraged and excited for you guys, because you know, you know this is how it works. He said, I've never met a couple in ministry or a pastor in ministry or whatever. I've never met uh, leaders in, in church ministry who are having a really effective job, doing effective things, who have also not gone through... Um, who haven't also gone through real hard things. And I remember in that moment uh, having very mixed feelings. I wanted to hug him and slug him at the same time. Um, but I thought it was interesting. He said, he said you know, you, you know. Doesn't James say that here? Like, look at that. It says, he said, James is like, you know this is how it works. You know perseverance. You know, you know trials can bring about Perseverance. You know this. You know this is how it works. Have you ever met somebody who's been through the ringer in life and just on the other side of it, they're just like, the level of empathy that they have, sympathy they have, just the, the person that they've become is just like, whoa, it's amazing. Um, that's what James is talking about here. There's a, there's a refining fires element of it. In fact, First Peter uh, says it this way, and by the way, by this time, persecution is just like really spread out. This is after that great fire and persecution is going crazy. Peter's writing in this. He says, you know, in all this, that is persecution, you greatly rejoice. Sorry, this won't be on your board. Peter's saying, in all this great persecution, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, when, uh, while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. There it is again. These have come so that the, prov- uh, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor with Jesus, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Refined with fire. I love that. Um, I don't like the fire part of the refining, the fire part, but on the other end of the refiner's fire are precious jewels, beautiful gems. Uh, Peter's saying it's better than that. Um, and you know, you know. But James here is saying that... Uh, there's a bit of a warning here, right? He says trials are either going to do one of two things. They're either going to push you towards God or they're going to push you away from God. Uh, And we see that in this word. There's a testing component to it. Um, So when, not if, troubles come, will you go to him? Will you trust him? Will you cling to him? Uh, They produce in us us perseverance, endurance, ability to stand no matter what. And then the second promise here is in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, second, second thought here, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Uh, the 
testing of our faith will produce the crown of life. Our crosses will be turned to crowns. Uh, there was this really powerful essay that I came across uh, recently titled uh, Life Story Fair, uh, Fairy Tale Endings by Emily. She, she withheld her last name because it's quite a you know, vulnerable essay here. But here's this uh, story of an amazing Christian woman who's writing, who, who, who writes about having gone through some really tough things in life. I mean, essentially, her husband cheated on her uh, with showing no signs of remorse. And she writes, my heart died within me. This could not be happening. She writes about how it's been incredibly hard and the impact it's had on our, our kids. Listen to how she concludes her essay and how much of it we can kind of glean from in terms of what James is talking about. She says, I've never had a big tragedy in my life, never, had, never, never really had to depend on God. I mean, sure, I prayed that I saw God work, but not like this. I never had the need to rely on God, truly just fall and rest on him. When I needed God's comfort, the image in my mind was clinging to Jesus and him hugging me. My image now is me just completely collapsed and him carrying me, and it is awesome. In the midst of this horrible situation where my whole identity and where my family has been attacked, I see glimpses of what God is doing and how my life and our lives will be changed. And I get excited to see who I get to be at the end of all of this. Like being in a race where it starts to rain and you hit a mud pit, you can't go around it. You have to go through it. And the rain and the mud are weighing you down. You can't go through it fast. You must concentrate on each painful step. But at the same time, something is keeping you upright and compelling you to continue. In the distance, you see what appears to be a sheet of rain, almost like a car wash rinse. And then you see it, the sun. It is perfectly clear. The person you will be there will be stronger with more understanding of who they are. Uh, um, uh, yes, that person is tired, but they are energized by the experience. I can't wait to see what God has taught me. I can't wait to learn more. I have explained it to my children like this. In every fairy tale, there is always a tragedy, and the protagonist faces that adversity, overcomes it, and thrives because of it. God is giving us our fairy tale. What do you see at the end? I love this for a number of reasons. One, you just see all the words of joy in there, right? She says, she talks about how things are awesome in the midst of hardship. She talks about how she's excited to see who she's becoming, even in the midst of hardship. I love that. She's not just saying, you know what, let's pretend it's not there. Let's just pretend that hardship doesn't exist. Let's just suck it up. No, she's saying it stinks, but there's a joy there that she's, she's grabbing hold of. And then, of course, this metaphor of the fairy tale ending. I love this. Like we just, it's so deep-seated and rooted in us that we teach our kids from a very early age about fairy tale endings. Like, oh, it's a happy ending. But in Christ, friends, there is the happy ending. In Christ, there is the crown of life, excuse me, for those who put their faith in him. This is the gospel. This is what James is pointing us towards. He's saying, go to God in trials, in your troubles, Go to him and trust him. Cling to him, and he will be there. Um, But you know what? Remember where I started. This is all based on the foundation of the gospel truths, of the gospel itself that James is building upon. Because if you just try to suck it up and do this yourself, if I just try to do that, it's, it's nice. It's very, very helpful in thought, but it will fall terribly short. What we need is the gospel to really drive this in us. Uh, And we see that really in a lot of the language that James is employing here. Listen to all the language that that we hear in the text I'm about to read to you that is also uh, spoken about in James. Here it is in Hebrews 12, verses 2 through through 3. The writer there is saying, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross 
scorning its shame. Consider him who endured so much from others so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That word endured is the same word we have in our text for perseverance. You see that word, him considering. You see the joy set before him in enduring the cross. In other words, don't just say, I can persevere because it'll make me a better person. Say, I can persevere because he persevered for me. Uh, This is the gospel, that we can persevere because Jesus persevered for us. And when you consider that he persevered the cross for you with joy, you and I, we can face anything. So go to God in the trouble. Go to God in the trials. He will be with you, even as he's shaping you and shaping your future and mine for those who put their faith in him uh, for a better one. Let's pray.